you said you potentially admire some things about Trump. You've quoted Andrew Tate and you're a fan of Jordan Peterson. How do you feel about you being placed in that category with those guys? What do you think similar about what you're saying and what Andrew Tate is saying? One example would be trying to draw the distinction between vulnerability and glorifying weakness. I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people. Categorizing of humans and ideas. You have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas. These things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by me. Hi, I'm Tim, the creator and facilitator of the New Evangelicals and host of the New Evangelicals podcast. Original, I know. We are a Jesus-centered and inclusive community that holds space for the folks marginalized by the evangelical church, advocates for accountability in the church, and we help people like you leave that cold, dark, and damp basement of evangelical fundamentalism behind to explore the rooms of the Christian tradition together. You can check out our podcast to hear from all kinds of amazing guests who are way smarter than me, and even a few episodes where I get to rant to our podcast producer about how dangerous Christian nationalism is. Ah, good times. Check us out anywhere you get your podcasts or slide into our DMs on Instagram at The New Evangelicals. G'day and welcome back to another episode of the Ideas Digest podcast where we, two optimistic Aussie blokes, explore the challenging ideas that divide (laughs) us. My name's Conrad. This is Matt. And if you're a new friend of the show, welcome. If you're a super friend, then obviously welcome back and thank you very much for your support. The super friends are the ones that went to ideasdigest.org. They avoid the ads, they get bonus content and they warm our hearts by supporting the show. They are the reason why I can sit here. It's the shrine. And I have... I have did I built a digital bonsai tree mm-hmm. with the faces of the super friends on the Thank bonsai you so tree much. to show our gratitude to you. But we also try and show it through bonus content, honest opinions, anything back scenes, uh, behind the scenes. So if you'd like to support the show, itisdigest.org, you can help us out there. Now, Matt, regular friends, just podcasters in podcast land, you can support the show by going and leaving us a review. Five stars is the preferred review. I've got a review right here. Matt, review or not a review. Here we go. This one is from Treehouse1213. This one says, new fan, I really identify with how these boys broadly push beyond their personal biases from a place of immense curiosity and Mm. desire to understand with kindness and approaches all with love as their true north. Review or not a review? Did I make that up? Is it real? It's real. Nah. No. <laughs> I was so excited for that one. Yes. Uh, Lex Friedman. <laughs> Lex is on his own. I know. I changed it a little bit. Oh, so no I made wonder. It up. Yeah, yeah. I said you Lex. You sucked me in. Well, if I said Lex, you would have known. Come on, man. I'm not Lex. So anyway. It warmed my heart, that one, until it was stolen. Thanks, Conrad. <laughs> we, we do actually have reviews very similar to that. Thanks to people who have less of, yes, less thank you reviews. so much. I just like to throw a spanner in there for Matt, get his hopes up and go, oh, it wasn't a review. Them. Yeah, and dash them. So anyway. Well, your support, especially in review form, gives us the clout to get bigger guests on the show. 100%. So the more reviews we have, big dogs look at our platform and they go, oh, how many reviews? Oh, a couple hundred. Yeah, we'll come on. So Mm. you help us and we can all talk to more important people with more followers. So thanks for your help there. Now, Matt, I'm doing like a coming up. 
because I'm letting everyone know I'm prepping for an episode. This one's going to be, I feel like a popular one because this one is on the Jordan Peterson. No, I do not have Jordan Peterson on the show. There's a bit of a, <laughs> doing a lot of like <laughs> Brett dragging us there and then just dashing yeah, yeah, yeah. it right in front of us. <laughs> yes. If we get more reviews, that may one day be a reality. Come on, guys. But alas... In mm-hmm. our universe at the moment, it isn't. Right. Uh, but this one's about Jordan Peterson because this guy, this, mm. this this bloke, I mention his name on my Instagram stories, viewership doubles. <laughs> this guy is a lightning rod and an icon mm. of just the culture war, everything. You love him, you hate him. And so I... And the I, algorithms love the guy. Algorithm loves the guy. And it doesn't matter which side of the algorithm you're on. That you see him. It, it comes up. Yes. So, I don't know how he does it. So I can't avoid this anymore. Mm. And I'm very curious to know why do people love him and why do people hate him? And I've got the new segment I'm going to introduce here and I'm introducing it to you for the very first time. Okay. The best way for us to understand both sides of this argument, right? This such divisive political and cultural icon named JP, Jordan Peterson, mm-hmm. is for us to embody one of those positions ourselves. So in this segment, yeah. name pending... We are going to flip a coin and one of us is going to convince a Jordan Peterson lover to hate him and the other, a Jordan Peterson hater, to love him. It's going to be something like, give me 20 minutes to change your mind. Right. So we'll call a friend of the show and they'll either be a Peterson lover or a hater and you or you and I will do it but right. with opposing people and you will have 20 minutes to change their mind. Okay? Interesting. And the winner of the segment changes their mind the most. I had something completely different in my mind when you said that we're going to have this segment on Jordan Peterson. I had like, you know, like Wheel of Jordan Peterson and we could, you know, like Wheel of Fortune and you could like wheel him and stuff and it would slowly unlock the cubes and we have someone revealing what his crazy idea, like a game Mm, show. That would be, that made us... Like some of his ideas. Some of his ideas. Oh, that's... hmm, We'll put that in the bank for later. That's not a bad idea. I don't... A wheel. I'm in for the wheel. <laughs> wheel of Peterson. <laughs> the wheel. We could we could do it with anybody. Maybe we should put like culture war figures and spin yeah, yeah. the wheel and then have culture it's war. It's true. And yeah. we could explore that idea. Or, or we have to we have to like convince one of our wives to do that, like the turning around of things. Like yes, that really get them on the nice dress. <laughs> really like <laughs> patriarchal. Yeah. There. Majorly patriarchal. <laughs> Just like ding. Yeah, <laughs> and we're thinking of Wheel of Fortune at the moment. That's all we've got in our head. Yep. Anyway, tangent over segment name idea. One story was I was in, I was in London. I was on a bus post Brexit. Now on the bus, the bus driver was a working class bloke, and we're on a bit of a tour, and he's just talking to everyone. And post Brexit, like me, the the top like the tours where you plug in and you listen to the now nah, smaller more like around england kind of thing smaller oh, okay. bus so it's more personable it's not like you conrad to travel like this that nah, was free <laughs> <laughs> makes sense <laughs> yes and so i was chatting to the bloke and he's working class right so oh, imagine like working class mate what are you thinking mm. yeah and it was post brexit i said yeah mate uh what are you thinking of brexit i heard not great for the economy. You know, Conrad loves economics, Ooh. likes to try and stir st- stuff up, especially because he's working class. You were just hoping he would just bite on that. Well, he did. Oh, yeah. And But he, he said something super patronising and, and this got me thinking about what to name this segment and he was like, I said, so Brexit, yeah, I heard it's not great for the economy and you're out of the world's, what, second largest single market. Mm-hmm. Bad move for England, if you ask my layman's take, my average punter's take. And he goes, well, mate, let me enlighten you, young man. 
And I was like, <laughs> enlightened. Why did you just bastardize me? I was oh, yeah. just so triggered. I was like, <laughs> I taught economic. Oh, how dare you, young man? How dare you? So anyway, yeah. I was thinking in this segment, I want to embody a bit of like, we're going to be that obnoxious person that hears someone's opinion and goes, nah, here's why you're wrong. So that's what I'm embodying with these right, segments. Okay. So if you have a, na- a segment name idea, at the moment, I might just sit with, give me 20 minutes to change your mind. Mm. Very self-explanatory. But if you have one, uh, send it in, send it in. So that's what we're going to do. Matt, we're going to flip a coin. Which, which one do you want? Would you prefer to convince someone to love Jordan Peterson or to convince someone to hate him? I'm, I'm not actually not sure. I, I want to flip a coin. Okay. Here we go. And it's obviously a digital coin because who's got a coin oh, these yeah. days? So here we go. Uh, I'm hoping, I'm hoping. So your head's on. Because I've seen some good YouTube videos on it. I'm hoping I can convince someone who loves him to hate him. Because there's a lot yeah. of hate out there and mm. it would just be way easier homework for me. Yeah, true. I just want the easy path. All right, here we go. Uh, okay, heads, you convince a lover to hate him. Okay. Okay, here we go. Oh. <laughs> Damn it, I wanted that one. <laughs> so, okay, you have to convince... Someone who loves Jordan Peterson. Do we have someone lined up ready to I do, do this? I have friends of the show ready to go. Okay. So you have 20 minutes to change their mind. And I have to convince someone who hates him to love him. <sighs> okay. You can flip it around if you want. No, we've got to stick with the game. Okay. Unless you want the other one. No, we've got to stick with the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. All right. So anyway, so hopefully next week, hopefully next week we'll have the Jordan Peterson episode where we learn... Why this guy divides and the algorithm loves. I'm so curious about that. On to today's episode. Let me introduce you to a bloke called Rich LFG Jackson. Do you know what LFG stands for? No. Uh, I didn't know either. But it's like, let's fucking go. I, I thought it was that. Oh, yeah. But I like I was like, I thought it was his actual some weird long his, name. And oh I no. was like, well, that'd be disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So it is, it is Rich LFG Jackson. I, the LFG, I think, is just on his social right. media. So I'm going to show you some stuff. I just want you to judge him because I've spoken to the bloke. Okay. Um, he runs a YouTube channel called Common Ground Conversations. Stop me if this sounds familiar. Yep. He walks around the streets of Melbourne. He asks people, hey, what do you think about, I don't know, Jordan Peterson, um, Andrew Tate, love or hate, abortion, mm. change my mind kind of stuff, right? Right. Um, and his whole idea is to help people have common ground conversations, talk about controversial things in a civil m- way. Sound like a pretty good idea mm. for a show. I, don't, I mean, I thought it was a great idea <laughs> for some reason. And his ideas are digest going to maybe sue him later. Yeah, after the episode. <laughs> Definitely. (laughs) Or just like piggyback his big following. So he's doing quite well on YouTube. He's an Aussie bloke. I caught up with him in Melbourne. So before I play the interview to you, who you are unfamiliar Mm -hmm. with at all, uh, I want you to judge him because we just got to get these off our chats. So here's, I'll just show you his Instagram. This is the best way to judge people these days. Uh, Here we go. Richard LFG Jackson. He's got a silver play button, so he's big on YouTube. There's a picture of him with Jordan Peterson. Peterson. Okay, got some judgments. Go. Yeah, I fully started judging him. Like, I was imagining him to be like left-leaning, you know, sort of, you know, just, I guess, I don't know, someone that would love to do that sort of thing. But looking at this... I'm hitting thinking right wing. I'm hitting right well, wing. Well, Jordan Peterson, he's like a right wing. I icon. know, and that's like the, the smile he has of Jordan Peterson there is probably maybe indicating he, that's a proud moment he's, for him. Well, it's pinned. It's a pinned post. Oh, a pinned post too. So yeah. he's definitely, it is I'm a proud moment. Him yeah, yeah. There's photos Lots of him of in like a cool car. Yeah, interesting. He's wearing shirts a lot. 
he's quite a muscular bloke. He's buff. Yeah, he's yeah, he's got some solid biceps on him. Riding nice. a cool motorbike. Um, well pieced together. I'd say like f- fashion Melbourne looking guy. Um, yeah, what do you reckon? Okay, I've got three categories that you can place him into. No, let me give it like... Hunter, pseudo-intellectual, which I think we fit in all the time. We're mm-hmm. not qualified, but we like to think we are. And then... We in- classify ourselves as intellectual, um, uh, but, but other people not. classify us <laughs> as intellectuals. Well, we have no paper behind us, <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. So we're definitely pseudo. And then I've, above that's like... That. That still yes, limited not, paper. Not in what we're saying. Yeah, not in the stuff we're not in our <laughs> opinions. So then there's like full blown intellectual. So yeah, yeah. so do you think he's a punter or do you think he's like a pseudo intellectual? They're the two categories I've got. Unless you have got another one. Yeah, maybe a punter. Bit of a punter. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he just has a go. Has a yeah, crack. Yeah. Looks like a guy. I don't think. A, I don't think looking at. He's like guy looks like to me now. That's pretty well. Uh, like he's done a lot of personal development. Yeah, he does seem to like, like that a hustler. Yeah, he's really gotten so. You know, he's very disciplined, obviously. Yeah, self-help kind of guy. Yeah. Big, big proponent of it. All right. Um, yeah, cool. All right. Well, let me... I should give a disclaimer on this one. This is really for you, Matt, because I dropped the ball. <laughs> the audio quality on this isn't, isn't my finest. I feel a disturbance in the force. <laughs> yes, you are. You did. I'm sure you did. I know. I was I out there wherever. It. I was in Bali on my... <laughs> scooter and almost scooted off the road I'm like, <laughs> you're like Conrad, low audio. The audio quality. <laughs> so i've got my mic it was, it was portable i was in melbourne i caught up with him in person right and so i'm sorry audio people but audio is not up to our usual standard which i hope is improving over time i'm doing some self-help development on audio to get better uh friends of the show matt meet rich lfg jackson from common ground conversations on youtube and I'm joined by a special Melbourne correspondent, Nath. G'day, everyone. How are you going? If you're a super friend of the show... Like me. <laughs> you might one day be able to co-host as well. How much did you pay? Oh, just I signed up for the monthly fee and, and I just got picked out name drawn out of the hat top. You just don't know. If you're a super friend and you're listening back in the episodes, his voice might sound familiar. It's because he's been on a few episodes before. I was in Melbourne. I thought I'll bring along a trusty sidekick. <laughs> anyway, now I want to kick off and introduce a new friend of the show to speak with today. His name is Richard from Common Ground Conversations. If you're an Aussie on YouTube, you might have seen this guy. So we're in Melbourne. We're right in the city. We're at the top of like a nice high rise apartment here. Let's say I'm walking around the Melbourne streets. We run into each other. I'll probably run into you doing something very specific. Oh, you've got a sandwich board on and it says a controversial statement on it. Rich, who are you and what do you do? Okay, so we we want to ask the important but controversial questions and then see if we can find common ground. The way that we do that is I'll don a sandwich board, uh, which is kind of part of our brand now. And uh, like what you said, we'll have some kind of statement on it that represents two poles of a particular argument usually. Sometimes we have more general questions like what is racism? And we'll kind of go down that rabbit hole. But oftentimes it'll be something with two clear polar opposites like Andrew Tate, love or hate. And then we'll uh, we'll see it's if we can. One. It's controversial. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. It's got we'll a see. nice ring to it. It's yeah. got a, ro- a little <laughs> bit of rhyme to it. There's no like. sense well, radio. So <laughs> what we've noticed is that people people feel more comfortable engaging if they can very quickly give a thumbs up or thumbs down. Then we can open up the conversation, and that's part of what we're trying to do, right? Is we we notice that, and this is why I resonate with what you're doing. We notice that people are very quick to pick sides, and the people who pick who opt for that tribalism straight away, they're the people that we want to engage in in conversation with and see if we can test their beliefs a little bit and see if we can 
almost inspire a little bit of empathy for people who are on the other side and comes common ground. You're sounding familiar, Nate. You sound very, yeah. very familiar. <laughs> uh, it's, it's very familiar, and I think he's doing a very good job at it. Normally, we find people on the show that, that have controversial ideas that we that we want to explore. How do they get there? What do they think? And I found your stuff, and I went, man, this guy's, what a great, smart guy. What a great idea this guy's got to just, you know, everyone's polarized. You know, everyone locks someone into one box or the other, but the conversation and how do we find out how they got there? Why do they think what they think? You know, could I be there if I had their life experience? I'm feeling a lot of uh, common ground. I mean, oh, you, wow. hang on, there's you, the plug. Hang on, there's my show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the plug. I'm, I'm definitely feeling a lot of commonality with your worldview, which is why I thought, let's meet up with this guy. Let's have a chat because your approach is distinctly different to mine. But before we get into that conversation, I want to do what I do with all new friends of the show, and Nath is going to help me in this regard. Here, we um we like to judge people we first meet. I'm sure you experienced that firsthand. I have some judgments that friends of the show, maybe not friends of the show, may have thought about you. They see you walking around, nice black polo, good size bicep on him, yeah. I think, and they might judge you. Now, can Nathan and I just judge you to your face and you get to say yes or no? The hard version of the game is yes or no. Other I like, people. I like hard. So first one, I'll start off with an easy one. Rich, you're an incel fascist. Not quite. Not quite. Not quite. That was a out of it. That's no, no, no. Okay, Okay. you're an uneducated twat. No, no. That's fair. This is totally fair. Now it's a new one. I haven't, I haven't heard that one. Well, you should have, because I got this stuff straight off the YouTube. (laughs) This was so easy. Normally it's so hard. You've heard this one before. I just like incel fascist. I'm definitely familiar with. Yeah, I got. Yes, I had that a couple of times. All right. Yeah, we're going to get into that. Um, okay, I'm going to say, and this one, I don't know if you, I didn't get this one from you. Rich, you're a Trump supporter. No. Oh, depends. Yeah, Ooh. depends what you mean by supporter. Would you vote for him? Not sure. If you're in America. Would you Honestly, vote not sure. Doesn't know. Would need to do a bit more research. Ooh, okay. It wasn't a clear yes or no. <laughs> See how hard it is. It's so hard to just <laughs> yeah, say know, yes or no. Because you know it's going to be taken out of context. That's right. That's I, right. I would say uh, someone asked me uh, yesterday uh, that exact question. I was like, oh. there is there are certain things that I admire about him. Ooh. Maybe a super fun segment. We should get into yeah, that. Yeah, okay. Not on this one. Okay. Not on this one. Uh, you're going to need it. No, you, this is no, you, no, no, you're going to need so, Okay. Is it, you've See, re- I don't want to say this because I recently lost my job at a school <laughs> because because I was taken out of context and no I didn't get way. it right. Yeah, yeah. This but someone has accused... Some, someone has yeah. accused you. Okay, so, so I want to yeah. put okay, it to Okay, great, him. cool. I'm happy to say this. Love Rich, you don't know where a clit is. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I like the honesty. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> that's okay. Really okay. You got okay. to go sure. searching. Sometimes. Okay. It means he's open. Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. I'm good. humble enough. Okay, that's good. Yeah. So, Rich, you're a sexist man who loves Jordan Peterson. It's too fun. You can you you feel free. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say love Jordan Peterson, yes. Yeah. Sexist depends what you mean. Interesting. All right, cool. He's open to definition exploration. You are a desperate millennial trying to be TikTok famous. I'm not even trying a millennial. Desperate to be TikTok famous, not quite. No. This is a me hobby one. Friends of the show might not be interested in this, but Conrad loves politics. So I reckon you voted. For the Freedom Party of Victoria. Did you vote? Yes. Did you vote for the Freedom Party of Victoria? And if I don't get this, I've got one more guess. No, I actually don't want to say who I voted for. Oh. Yeah. 
The reason being, the reason being that one, I, I don't want people copying my boat. Oh. And two, if people are going to look for someone to make sense of Victorian politics in, in particular, I'm not the guy. That's some nuance wow. in there. Wow. Yeah. I, I respect it. Okay, couple more just to end on. This one, this one I, I'm quite proud of. I came <laughs> up with this one myself. Rich, you're just a poor man's RV Yemeni. Oh. <laughs> the poor man really got it. Yeah, ball. yeah. Nah, nah, nah. I would like to meet Arby though. So people, people who, people who see us at rallies will often, uh, also, you know, politically leaning, left-leaning rallies will sometimes just look at us and go, they're far right-wing. And they'll compare us with people, with people like Arby. And something that we have been trying to do is how do we distance ourselves from that type of person because we are different. Now, that's not to say that I don't respect Arby and that I'm sure we're going to find common ground with him on a lot of things, but it's also important for us to delineate what do we agree upon and what don't we agree upon. So it'd be interesting to actually have a conversation with him and, and let people see how are these guys different to Arby or we've also been compared to people like Stephen Crowder in the US. And that was the next, the next one. Ah, <laughs> was the next one. I'll, I'll jump in. I'll jump in. You're just an antagonizer. You just go out there just to antagonize right, people. Right, right. Okay. Um, Provoking no, people. no. Okay. I, we, we're provocative and antagonistic insofar as when we are pursuing our mission, it provokes or antagonizes. Right? We, we're not mm. going out with the intention of let's uh let's provoke or let's antagonize yeah okay well that's the end of the judgment section just for inside baseball for american friends of the show avi yemeni he's i don't want to say he's australian steven he's australia's steven crowder but for americans kinda. A, yeah i'll I, just i think it's a low resolution mm, map low but, resolution but good enough good mm. enough talking 420 480p <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So you've I got like that segment. That's good. <laughs> yeah. That's fun. Okay. Good way to like break break the ice. It, only, yeah, it, it only went badly once. Yeah. <laughs> so Matt threw some judgments at him, and I came in pretty hard. Yeah, like was pretty solid. They're the they're probably the heaviest judgments, and I felt comfortable doing it because I just stole the judgments from what pe people yell at him whilst he's talking to people on the street. So the opening one, which was you're an incel fascist, it's pretty intense. People perceive him to be right-wing. We've kind of judged him to be right-wing, yeah. but he also cops a lot of abuse and hate. So every single thing there that he got um, was I stole from just mess DMs people send him and all those sorts of things. So, and he was a good sport about it. Aussies are pretty... They were pretty... He, he had yeah. a good time. So, so yeah, now now we've kind of judged him. Has he has he shifted any of your judgments just in that brief... Probably reinforced. Reinforced. So, yeah. you're like, okay, you still think he sits, you know, yeah. right wing. And, well, he says he admires... Potentially admires Trump and... I can see he was also maybe... Yeah, he was being quite careful how he answered that question because yes. I think of some of the judgments against him. Yes. If he just said, oh, yes, of course, it just reinforces what everyone mm. what his haters think of him yes yes that's right that's right okay now what's he selling he's got this youtube channel that's my next pitch i want to know what what's his central idea what what, what makes him tick and it, what does he have what does he lean right in the questions he asks on the like what sort of like oh, can you that, give me an example so that's that's a great question to ask regarding what our definition on the show is how we approach yeah. bias friends of the show might be familiar but bias would be what issues do you think are the most important to society? Mm. If, and I think I said this later on in, in that interview. If you think climate change, um, 
women equality in the workforce, transgender um, equality. If you think they're important issues, you lean left. If you think immigration, if you think um, transgender, but for different reasons, uh, if you think gun rights, like these are uh, like anti-abortion. If you think these are the most important issues that we should be talking about, I think you'd lean right. And so looking at the questions he asks, uh, he does he, he does one on what is a woman. <laughs> so that's going to that's gonna be like that question is like a crafted by the right wing, you would say. Mm. So I'd say the questions he asks potentially lean right. I don't think from a political perspective, yeah. From the political perspective, yes. So the question is, what's he selling? And what can what can what does he have that can make our life better? You have a YouTube channel. You're clearly on a mission, you're clearly doing something and you're trying to sell something. I'm in the car yard. There was like an exotic car yard market just outside this building mm. here. I'm kicking tires. Oh, look, that one has a bonnet. I can see the engine. Cool. It is. It was cool. <laughs> it was cool. So I'm kicking tires. I'm in the car yard. You're the salesperson. Hey, Rich. You come up. You go, oh, Conroe, you're looking to buy. I'm here to sell you something. What are you trying to sell me? If there's an idea with your YouTube channel, what you're trying to communicate, and you want me to come on board, what are you trying to sell me? Mm. I want you to understand that you are responsible for making sense of the world and thinking through complex problems critically uh, and then engaging in dialogue with other people to stress test your ideas. How do I learn to become responsible for making sense of the world? How do you get me to do that? What's your approach, I suppose? God, yeah. So I guess we were kind of, we touched on this earlier a little bit, but I'm, I'm trying to, we're in the midst of asking ourselves exactly what is the best way to do this. If, we, if our mission is two, twofold, critical thinking or, or sense-making might be another way of putting it, and then productive dialogue, how do, we, how do we get people doing that as effectively as possible? The YouTube channel and the TikTok are ways for us to kind of implant that mission in people's minds and to demonstrate that it's possible as well. So I think the, the, say the YouTube and the TikTok clips where we do find common ground, despite there being two poles to the, the discussion, um, that's really crucial for people to know, I think, that it, you don't have to pick a side. You can actually just think for yourself and come to a conclusion and respect someone through the conflict um, as opposed to it degenerating into, if I disagree with this person, we can't hang out or we can't be, we can't be on the same side. So I think a big part of it is demonstrating that process of critical thinking and um, and productive dialogue. So for example, um, in in the we we've done two episodes on abortion now, and my position in the second episode was very different to my position in the first episode. And part of that was showing people I'm thinking through these problems. I'm okay with being wrong, and analyzing, like based on the conversations that I have and collectively reasoning with other people where do I need to update my map? And I want people to feel comfortable to, to do the same. I want people to be even more than comfortable. I want people to be celebrated for having the humility to scrutinize their own uh, belief systems. So you're trying to model a behavior that you're trying to encourage in the world. So right. you're, you also seem to be bringing this vulnerability of who you are. Because that video you're talking about, I, I did see it. And at the beginning of the video, you say, hey, I, I began pro-choice. And now after talking to people, I think I'm more pro-life and you kind of explain a little bit more. It seems a little bit to me like you're on the vulnerable journey of going, okay, here's a world that I don't fully understand. I'm not qualified in all these different areas. Mm. 
how do I publicly engage in these conversations? You don't sound afraid to talk about challenging and controversial ideas with people on the streets. Yep. You don't seem too disheartened by some of the abuse you might get. And I think we'll get in that to a little bit. But it sounds like you're trying to model the behavior you wish you could see. This humility right. of, I don't know everything. And I'm not afraid of any idea either. I'm happy to talk about it. Does yep. that sound like roughly what you Yeah, think? absolutely. And I, I think that comes from, uh, maybe it's part of my upbringing. Like I had a family that was very supportive of us exploring our ideas. And if you said something that I didn't agree with, I wasn't a bad person. I wasn't ostracized from the family or, or anything like this. And that's also the culture that I have in my friendship group. But I know that there are some people who don't grow up in a system like that, right? So I've been close with people who, if they were to test a particular idea and find out that they needed to update it, they might genuinely be ostracized from their social group, if not their family. So it's I interesting a recurring theme that's been coming up for me has been what is love? What does love look like? And I think part of what love is, is if we disagree on the specifics of something, there's still like this underlying sense of I respect you as an individual and you respect me as an individual such that you feel comfortable and safe in testing those ideas. So it sounds like you're talking about relationship and the word love you're using there as having relationships with other people that are greater than the ideas that we hold that may be different. Right. And But that love, even beyond, uh, say, an intimate relationship or friendship, I, I try and act from a place of love and curiosity when I'm having these conversations in, in such a way that beyond, and now I don't always succeed, but beyond the specifics of the idea d that we're discussing, I want you to feel as though there's still this underlying sense of love or respect might be a, a word that people can res resonate with, even if we disagree. So like I was just editing a, an episode, a uh, high value woman episode that we've got coming next. And there's one instance where things get a little bit heated with someone and I, I'm, you know, I get a little more heated than what I usually do. He gets a little, a little heated as well. But then at the end of the conversation, it's like, all right, let's call it beyond everything that's just happened. You know, thank you for sharing your position. I appreciate it type of thing. And uh, if people feel as though they can genuinely think and be respected for that thinking, not necessarily having the right answer as a conclusion, then I think that promotes the critical thinking and, and then the productive dialogue as well. So you're going to people with a founding set of assumptions and that founding set of assumptions when you come across someone and say, hey, my name's Rich, high value woman or not, what makes a high value woman? What do you think? It sounds like you're giving them the grace to go, I'm going to assume that you're a free thinking, like you're assuming something about them because when people yell, like those judgments before we were joking about um, one of your episodes, some, some lady yells like you're an incel fascist. So she's making some assumptions about you being like, I've seen his videos, he's an incel fascist. So therefore... We actually met her. Oh. Like we, we interviewed her in full for the first pro-choice, pro-life episode and had a civil conversation. And then she saw us a second time and was like, I'm not having any of it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Straight out the gate, she was telling everyone around us in self-fascists, they misuse your content, they do this, they do that. We used her entire conversation from back to front in the first episode. So side tangent then, as I follow this as you're, as you're telling it, why, the, why do you see the in self-fascist? Because there was a few videos and I guess maybe she spread it around as you'd be like, the in self-fascist. Is that a common thing you get and why is that? Like, first of all, incel, what, incel, but guy that can't get a girl, yeah? It can't have sex with anybody. And fascist being, I guess, like Hitler was a fascist. Like, that's you. 
<laughs> like, yeah. what, what, where's the? <laughs> I'm not getting those vibes, but, yeah. but where does that link come from in your mind? Um, I think a big part of it is just character assassination. They just want to, instead of engaging with the ideas, if you feel like your ideas might be indefensible, uh, or maybe it's also a sense of arrogance of like my worldview is com- complete. I don't, I don't need to test it. I don't need to scrutinize it. And anyone who does scrutinize it is essentially screwing up my mission. Um, that's, yeah, I think uh, an, an opt-out from civil discourse is how do I just make this person out to be a, uh, a bad person, a villain? So whether it's incel fascist or swap in transphobe or racist mm. or sexist, Whichever one discredits me such that everyone else in the crowd around us is like, oh, therefore I'm not engaging. So mm-hmm. there was also a clip there where one of the speakers at the event, we went up to her afterwards and just said, hey, just so you know, we run a YouTube channel. We're going to be speaking to some pro-lifers because there's a, a pro-life rally on the same day. We'd love to have a chat to a pro-choicer. You know, you did a speech. It would be great to speak to you. And then someone walked up behind her and was like, um, they're fa- TikTok fascists or something like this. And straight away, understandably, but also not not ideal, straight away her walls were up and she's like, no, I don't want anything to do with it. So, I, yeah, I think, it's a, I think it comes from a place of fear. Of like my ideas are indefensible uh, and therefore I need to resort to some other strategy so as to make them seem wrong and make me seem right. So then what assumptions do you have then going into a conversation about yeah. somebody that you think other people should maybe have as well so that these, because it seems like that's the foundation on which conversations are built. Yeah. You're going in with an attitude. What is that? And yeah. what are those assumptions? That's such a good question. Um, uh, yeah, I really like it. I, I think, I think one of the core assumptions that I have going into these conversations is that if someone is made to feel safe or loved or respected or held might be another way of putting it to think about what they believe and why they believe it. Everyone is capable of thinking through problems and coming to good solutions and then using that as a basis for proper action. Um, And I think that's where it comes down to like the idea of the divine individual. And I think that everyone has that, that capacity to think through complex problems. Um, and also the responsibility. Uh, so, yeah, for me, it comes down to the the assumption that I have is if given the opportunity and made to feel safe, people are capable of doing that and that that is a good thing. Is rallies the place to, to do this? Because I watched just a, a small portion of some of your YouTube stuff and going around with a big placard, that can seem like really antagonistic. Is a rally the place to try and have these conversations? For anyone who's interested, we have an episode called Confronted where a gentleman called Charlie comes up and and asks the same question. He kind of says, I see what you're doing. I I share the idea of it's good to come to common ground, but the way you're going about it is the wrong way. You should do it in a podcast format kind of similar to this. And it was good to get us thinking, right? Like, are we, what are we really trying to accomplish here? Are we doing it in the best way possible? Should we just opt for the podcast format? So a couple of things came to me after meditating on that. One is there are plenty of podcasts out there doing the exact same thing. Couldn't name one. Nice. <laughs> Ideas Digest. <laughs> Plug. <laughs> um, second is why do people find our content so engaging? And also, why, why are there people saying this is exactly what we need? 
part of it, I think, is we need to demonstrate that process where polar opposites or, or differences in position can come to a common ground. And people aren't just interested in what the experts have to say. People are interested in tapping into the, I'm not sure if this is the right term, but like the general person's or the general population's mind or, the common or thoughts. The common man. Woman. Woman. Sorry. Yes. yes. Woman. Common well, person. Common person. Common person. Cancelled. Sexist. And, and, um, and I think that's people are really interested in that because it's not just about having the experts speak about these issues. It's also interesting to tap into, okay, this everyday person, what do they believe and why? One, one step further beyond that, I think the people who most need to be held to account for their beliefs are the ones saying that things need to change. So the people who are at these protests who say, there is something not right here, and things must change. They are the ones who most need to rationalize. If we're going to change something, you need to explain why. And that's very different to just asking an expert on that side, hey, what do you believe and why? I think it's also, you know, and in holding people at these protests to account, it can demonstrate, I think, a, a, perhaps a cultural issue that we have where we okay people protesting when they when they don't know what they're talking about or they haven't done the they haven't done their due diligence in clarifying have you thought about this problem uh in enough detail to actually warrant you saying yes things should change or are you coming from a place of resentment and that's something that i noted in the second episode on abortion the pro-life pro-choice episode is it's it's hard to tell are you here because you believe that this thing needs to change, and if so, why? Or are you here because this protest is a vehicle for the manifestation of your underlying resentment? And no one's, and we're kind of that voice of of accountability that says, "Let's see, let's see. You tell me, you tell me. Do you believe what you believe, or are you saying it because you want to be a part of a group and you're resentful at, at something else, and this is your vehicle for it?" So, are you indicating that some of the bad and unhelpful ways in which people engage in society. You know, we name call, we throw stones, verbal or physical. Are you saying that people might be protesting or engaging in like, like some form of civil disobedience or civil disruption? Not necessarily, like some of them could be doing it because they believe we need to take action on climate and these, this is how we end up having to make those changes and could engage in that conversation. But are you saying that some of these people who are pushing for societal change are confusing they have some struggles in their personal life. Is that what you're saying as far as like um, there's something going on inside of me and I'm angry or resentful? What do you think they might be resentful at? And that is causing them to just, you're saying they're just grabbing onto something. So it's like, okay, I'm just going to grab onto the pro-life movement or the pro-choice movement because I'm just angry. And it sounds like that would be a subconscious thing. Is that what you're talking about? This subconscious yeah, yeah. potential, potentially misappropriating a societal anxiety or a societal yeah i think problem. i think you you put that really eloquently it's like that if you haven't done the inner work or you're afraid of looking at the internal mirror that showcases you're actually unhappy with yourself and the results that you're getting in your life you don't feel like you're doing what you're supposed to you know you've got suffering here there and every, everywhere you don't have a strong sense of meaning you're going to 
look for a meaning to latch onto. And sometimes that can come from just finger pointing in a particular movement and saying, oh yeah, this is, there's a problem over here and there are these bad guys over here and I'm going to go and protest. And it's like, let's see whether you actually believe what you're saying versus you're running away from the difficult internal work uh, and your own personal failings um, and, and instead just pointing the finger and, and saying, I'm right, you're wrong. These are the bad guys. I'm the good guy. Like, in, like an easy distraction, so to speak, yeah. as far as... A cop-out. I think it's a cop-out. It out. helps me ignore my problems because I can just join a different movement and I can be a part of something bigger and it helps me distract myself from my own inner problems. Okay. I'll also I'll also add to that that I think it can be a social belonging thing. So in in a in a and I wonder how much COVID has contributed to this. But if people don't feel like they have a strong sense of uh, social belonging, whether it's with family or a friendship group, then they can latch onto particular ideas as a way of uh, these ideas can be like membership keys to particular social groups. And a danger of thinking critically is that if your membership to the group is reliant upon you believing a particular something, questioning that something might mean that you have you lose your membership to that social group. So in, in a time where people might feel more disconnected, I think it can promote this tribalism. How has, I suppose, privilege um, impacted your life and your ability to then see the world in this way and be wanting to have these dialogues and then, I suppose, like looking for other people to do that work as well? privilege how does it fit into all of it i guess as a starting point no matter where you come from you're going to have biases if you are more well off in some way shape or form compared to other people you might have a slightly different worldview, or you might not be able to empathize with their their position and how it's impacted their worldview i guess what we're trying to do is if i if i were operating from a place of privilege or they were operating operating from a place of privilege the way to navigate that is let me understand you, right? It's like empathy. It's like give me, give me the, give me, give me the 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 context of your life so that I understand why you've come to the conclusion you've come to, because then maybe I can do the same for you, and then again, common ground. Um, this hasn't been released yet, but we have uh, an episode coming up. We're not sure what it'll be titled, but it was when we were recording the high value woman episode a lady came up to me and started filming us and, uh, you know, started saying, it was, she, was, she was kind of implying, how dare you ask this lady what is a high-value woman? Um, and we ended up finding a lot of common ground with her and she started to realize our intentions. I think she realized that underlying sense of love, respect, curiosity. And even though she might have come at it confrontationally, we were able to de-escalate the situation. The reason why I bring that up, she says towards the end of the conversation, were you, did you go to private school? Because I get private school vibes from you. And I am the opposite of a private school kid. I was going to say judgment. That would be a yeah, good one. That would have right. been a good judgment. Be good and and she also asked, did you vote for Dan Andrews? Right, Labor Party. Uh, no, so, I didn't get those vibes. He's not going to tell me, but I would <laughs> but, put my but money. So, but so <laughs> it, was, it was very interesting to watch those judgments and to be non-reactive to them and to... Now, if I were reactive, I think she might have solidified that position. But I was just curious. Why do you think that I'm a private school kid? Why are you assuming that I come from a place of privilege, as an example, as opposed to having earned what I might have? Right. So 
it was it was I think that obviously pe- people get dealt different sets of cards, right? And that it, that's we have to like anyone who denies that, I, I feel like that's a little bit of naivety perhaps, but we get dealt different sets of cards. The way that we play those cards, like what are you gonna do? Complain about it or play the cards as best you possibly can. But the cards that you are dealt may influence your worldview. And we need to be open to that. Um, to, uh, maybe I'll, I'll give like a couple of key anchor points to kind of skip the details. But at age 12, my parents separated. Uh, both parents were bankrupt. I lived between the ages of like 12 and 18, high school. Uh, I lived in a variety of different houses from abandoned nursing homes to retirement villages, like one bedroom apartments with my dad and grandma. And I just worked my ass off to get out of that situation. So, you know, when someone like this lady says, oh, you're a private school kid, I'm like, very interesting, madam. Are you assuming that because it makes it easier to believe what you believe and what I believe? Or, yeah, do you have the humility to say, maybe this guy has come to his, maybe she's a, I'm thinking maybe, is it more dangerous that I've come to my conclusions from a place of non-privilege via critical thinking? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to watch those judgments. And I certainly wouldn't consider myself as having had uh, a privileged upbringing insofar as a, you know, compared to the standard in Melbourne, now, a Melbourne upbringing, you know, my upbringing compared to some kid in a, in a third world country, uh, in that respect, I'm very privileged. I'm also not asleep to the ways in which I was privileged. Like, there were certain key people in my life who stepped in and helped me feel supported, whether it was like um, there was this particular grant that, that me and my two younger sisters, we got this grant to kind of help buy school books and uniform and whatnot. And they, they asked me to speak at one of their conferences to get supporters for, further down the line. And I remember saying that the money was so secondary to just having an external person come in and say, I, I see talent in you. I see you working hard and we believe that you should be supported to, to manifest that, that work ethic. Um, Your family religious at all? Mum used to be, uh, she was raised Catholic. Um, I think now she would say she's spiritual in the sense that she doesn't subscribe wholesale to Catholicism like she used to when she was younger. And yourself, would you place yourself in a religious brand or category? Oh, that's tough. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'd say I live out the Christian values, um, in, and I've already touched on one of them, like the individual responsibility, making sense of the world, articulating that sense. Um, but... I, I wouldn't say I'm your typical Christian. So I'm always apprehensive. Like I, I don't just say I'm Christian because I don't want to be lumped. Well, okay. So because when a lot of people say to me that they're Christian, I always have this question of, are you just following? Yeah. Are you just a follower? Because I remember when I was 13, my, I, I told my mom, I'm not coming to church anymore. And she was like, why? Like, come on, come on. Because uh, that's what our family used to do. And I said, why? Why are these people just following what's in some book? Um, so that was that like blind following always irked me a little bit. Um, but I was and ha- have been and still am living out 
some of the Christian values. What made you curious to look at the world and go, I don't know everything about it, but I want to figure this stuff out. What made you curious to explore different ideas and then step onto the political landmines that you're coming across now? Because most people don't. Like you're saying, most people, they might find a tribe they belong in and these wor- this worldview works for them and they don't necessarily ask the same questions you're asking or they are just okay being within the tribe they're in and not necessarily challenging their own beliefs. Because as you're asking these questions, you're eventually going to come across your worldview shifting. If you, It sounds like you're putting your ideas out there and publicly as well, which is a whole nother level of this is what doesn't happen. People... I mean, you hear, you hear guys like, I was watching Andrew Tate and Piers Morgan, and he was saying, I never apologize. I just don't apologize. I just don't. But in a way, what you're doing is putting yourself out there going, hey, I don't have all the facts. Here's what I think now. And then later on, you're going, okay, I used to think this. Now I think this. In a way, like people could think apologizing is similar to kind of what you're doing going, oh, well, I've changed my mind now because I have different information. And, you know, I guess I thought that I think that now. What made you, what gave you that capacity to do that, even individually, because publicly is another level, but even individually, because most people, myself included, don't necessarily have this capacity, this capacity to untangle all the things you're talking about, my personal experience, my personal bias, my personal, the emotions attached to something, someone will just say something and I'm not even fully thinking about it, but I think that's the answer. And then when someone challenges that core in there, it hits an emotion, it hits something underlying like maybe the people that are getting angry at you for literally saying hey what do you think yeah. you're like you don't yeah. you don't even know where it's lit in self fascist yeah you're fascist like yeah. you've hit something yeah. and, or you symbolize something to them so i guess what gives you that capacity to what ideas have given you that capacity to look at yourself and go i don't know everything and i'm going to explore these ideas and i'm going to just be open to a conversation yeah so i think it's it's a combination of ideas and experience i'd probably almost say it's the ex- certain experiences that I've been through that have that have catalyzed this sense of it's really important to talk through these things. It's really important to be humble and be willing to test your beliefs. That period of like 12 to 18, I'm not sure who said it. It might've been Tate actually. It's something like life is going to hurt you and it's about what you do with that hurt. So going through watching my parents separate in large part due to a lack of clear communication from a place of love and respect, I saw, I not only saw the damage that did, I also felt the damage that did. And I was like, okay, this doesn't, this strategy does not work if we're trying to live well, we might say. So I knew from an experiential level that you had to, if you didn't want that to happen, you had to engage in conversation. And you had to be curious. Um, and that, that's almost what conversation is. It's like, I'm curious to what you believe. You're curious to what I believe. And we explore it. Beyond that, I also learned that um, I think post-separation, my mum in particular demonstrated the ability to always say sorry as soon as she realized she hadn't done her best. And that I've only realized this in the, the later years between that formative period or in that formative period of my life, realizing it's actually such a loving move to say, I'm sorry. And to pin, and not just like, I'm sorry generally, but to say, I'm sorry that ABC. And like being specific about, 
either something you could have done better or, you know, uh, yeah, something you might have said that wasn't exactly what you meant. Or, or maybe it was what you meant, but you, you know, you didn't check your attitude. And that being an act of love and also watching how that can bring people's walls down. And straight away, you're capable of engaging in that loving space. It just kind of takes the first person to be like, I'm okay with being wrong. And I'm, mm. I'm sorry, I could have done better. So those are the two things that really come to mind there. And that might be, you know, just as a little tangent, lots of people ask, uh, say, for example, Andrew Tate. There was this guy that we met the other night on Chapel who was like, Andrew Tate, everything he says is true. I always love asking people like that. If you are a critical thinker, I can ask you, what do you disagree with Andrew Tate on? And that might be one of the key instances where I definitely think it's appropriate to say, sorry, if you realize that you have made a mistake and you could have done something better, you you should say sorry. Um, and that can be incredibly productive. It can let other people feel like, one, you've understood, two, you have good intentions, and three, you're humble enough to, to recognize where you, where you have missed step. Mm. It seems like, from what I'm gathering hearing you talk, it seems as if in there that, that there's a self-belief and a self idea of who you are as a person that doesn't have all the answers and holds yourself with some level of humility to then at least, at the very least, because I'm sure people who know you will be like, oh, that guy, he probably never says sorry, but at least hold I the idea. I say ideal. sorry all the time, all the time. One of these and it's, and it's, it's, it's like also the, sorry to cut you off there, but, in in he said sorry in uh, <laughs> well done well done in, but in in I think I also learned it uh, in intimate relationships or romantic relationships mm -hmm. that if you don't say sorry just watch what happens yeah and it doesn't go well mm. it doesn't go well and I think a lot of the the strategies that work well in conflict resolution privately yeah or intimate with family with friends they scale to how we conduct ourselves with people online or, yeah. or strangers in person. Yeah. Um, sorry to cut you off. No, because that seems to be the, the, the central idea around how can you have conversations with people who you disagree with? How can you seek to find common ground with somebody? I recently reached out to somebody who posted a tweet on their Instagram of what someone else was saying. And they were saying, what an idiot. Can't believe this guy would say something like this. This person who posted it was progressive. And the person they were going against was obviously conservative in the religious realm. Trans was probably the topic. And I reached out and was like, yo, I would like to facilitate a conversation because I find that very interesting as I experiment with the show. And I'm like, would you talk to him? And his answer was flat no. And I found it the flip. Generally on the other side, more conservative leaning individuals who aren't out on the fringes because the ones out on the fringes really believe what they're saying. So they're happy to be like, I fully believe this and I'm going to say it. And I kind of respect someone who's going to, going to bat for their ideas, probably similar to you being like, right, like tell me everything. Why I should, why, I, why should I believe what you believe? Um, but some people aren't willing to have a conversation with somebody. And I can understand sometimes why sometimes it's not worth having the conversation, all those things. Some people are bad faith actors and they're there to just trip you up, cut your interview and whatever, you know, like people might be assuming you're going to do as you're filming them. It's a bit of a trust thing. Which we've also been accused of doing, right? Of, of chopping, chopping, Chopping and taking people out of context, to which I'll always say, just look at the long form clips. Every every clip that we have on our TikTok or our old TikTok that got cancelled, if you look at the long form uh, piece, nothing's taken out of context. But we do do a lot of chops to make sure that it's engaging. Mm. So there's that trust then that people have to have towards you, towards people like me, but also 
there's this thing at your core that says, I need to hold myself and be as curious as my ideas and be humble about potentially myself being wrong. And that, the ability to say sorry and the ability to go, I really think I'm right about this 100%, but I'm willing to have a conversation and hear what you think, not just to convince you, but because I'm curious. And there are a few steps that I think don't necessarily exist. So, And it sounds like some people, friends of the show, might be surprised to hear you say that saying sorry is really important because people could and do categorize you as someone in the corner of the Jordan Petersons, as you've said, you're a fan of Jordan Peterson, potentially the Andrew Tate, so you've quoted him. And it comes to mind as we push back a little. You said you potentially admire some things about Trump. Depends on which one. You need to think more about that. You've quoted Andrew Tate and you're a fan of Jordan Peterson. Those guys, if I'm to 480p res some of their stuff, Andrew Tate explicitly, don't apologize. I don't apologize. I'm not someone who apologizes. He said explicitly on that interview, he's the kind of guy that's like, he sends the message of real men don't apologize. You've said something the opposite. But some of people would put you in that camp. Jordan Peterson, in a way similar. He's never said it explicitly, but the vibe probably people would get from a guy like Jordan Peterson is he'll speak on any topic regardless whether he's an expert or not. And he'll very be very unapologetic about it. I've Maybe Jordan Peterson fans could point at where maybe Peterson said, oh, no, I'm really sorry I got that wrong. But I'm sure if it existed, the left would have <laughs> propped it up there. So how do you feel about you being placed in that category with those guys? Because what you're saying seems to be very different to yeah. what these guys say. I think there are some similarities with, mm-hmm. with respect to what we say uh, that, that are similar to Jordan Peterson. And, what do you and think those are? What do, what, what, what do you think similar about what you're saying and what Andrew Tate is saying? Okay. Um, one example would be trying to do- draw the distinction between vulnerability and glorifying weakness. Right? So I think part of Andrew's message is there's a big difference between, uh, between whinging about your emotions and people praising you for that versus hardening up. And sometimes you can't listen to your emotions. You have to do what is necessary as a man. Um, that's, that's probably one part of his message that I really resonate with. Another part is just supreme accountability for playing the cards that you were dealt as best you possibly can. I'll, I'll say the, the, that, that idea of it's completely on you as to what you do with your cards and there's no use in complaining about them. There's no use in pointing the finger. Just get it done. Uh, figure it out. That's a very uh, empowering message and an important message um, that, that I very much resonate with and would also support. And and I would categorize that idea as I put things into boxes. That is a very conservative idea, which is potentially what places you in the category of Jordan Peterson and Andrew Tate, because that idea of individual responsibility is seems to be conservative. Is that where you would potentially sit or you agitate against that? You'd be like, oh, I'm not necessarily conservative. Yeah. Well, I would say I have in that respect, I have a conservative leaning. Yes. Um, uh, like as an as an example, um, people, it's just so res, low res to go left, yeah. right, progressive, conservative. But sometimes there's utility to being low res. But uh, as an example, with the person personal responsibility messaging, I'm very aware that uh, coming back to the idea of privilege, not everyone is born, uh, say, six foot 
right? Guys, not everyone is born six foot. Not everyone is born... That's me. <laughs> not, not, every, not everyone is born with symmetrical features. Not everyone is born with... Um, with uh, IQ. IQ might, is like a really good example where we know that part of it is biologically mediated uh, or, or genetically rooted. And you can't expect someone, you can't just say it's all up to individual responsibility if we know that someone's IQ is largely based on their genetics and how well you do in life is very much a product of your IQ in a lot of ways, um, or at least for a lot of people that's the case, especially in an economy that values more and more cognitive skills given that we're outsourcing or automating a lot of the labor jobs. So that might be an example of the limitations of your of the conservative worldview that says individual responsibility, but then you could, in your way, potentially see the progressive argument, which is generally, well, these neighbourhoods have lower IQs because they're poorer, and they're next to a coal plant, and that is directly linked to the pollution, inhibiting brain development in children, and therefore, right, something like, yeah, they can take responsibility, but the their environment has the th everything stacked against them. Right. And, so you wouldn't you be can, opposed to those progressive arguments. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I think right. they need that, and that's where the the there is value to both the progress. It's like you need both. You need both. Mm -hmm. No, no one side is correct. You need the. It's the Jordan Peterson motif of order and chaos. You need the progressive. You need the conservative. You need both. They, they're both true. Uh, simultaneously they're not necessarily mm -hmm. at odds how do you balance that worldview with the with the forces coming in as you're a public figure having these public conversations certain groups of people like you go to this say pro-choice rally everyone's like f this guy how do you i guess not end up in a world where your world you are being picked on by a group of people and then you react to that group that right. group of people how do you stay balanced in knowing what the world actually looks like yeah to yeah, yeah i guess it's it's by I, lo I love that idea or, or the identification of the problem that I could interact with the people at those pro-life, pro-choice rallies, in particular the pro-choice rallies, the ones who are calling me names and say, therefore, I'm going to take this tiny little group of people and say, this is what the left are like, which is completely... How do you not do that? Because that's a very... It would be so easy to do. Yeah, I guess it's, it's through understanding the utility of the left and their values and their worldview again, generally speaking, and just being very aware of when I do engage with someone who is like that, of not going, this isn't how all people are, right? So let's say I had a, a really bad interaction with a woman. Being very, very conscious of going, not all women are like this, right? And then you can apply the same thing for a woman who has a really bad interaction with a man. You have to have that awareness of this isn't how all women are. Uh, all, all men are, sorry, in that case. So I guess it's an awareness piece. Um, and and I think also in having engaged with a lot of what I would call the reasonable left, the left that engages in these ideas and has a reason as to why they believe what they believe and knowing that there are plenty of people like that, much more than I think people, you know, much more than perhaps some conservatives might realize there is a huge number of uh, reasonable progressives who are willing to explain what they believe and why, and there is merit to their position. And it's a it's a very bad game to play to just extrapolate from the extreme. And the same goes for the left that look at the radical right and say all of the right is like that. Um, and I think a, a, a very uh, 
eye-opening consequence of engaging in these street interviews is you realize how many people are actually in that moderate center and capable of engaging in dialogue compared to there are these slivers on the outskirts that also need to be facilitated, um, but they're not a representation of the, the average or the whole. It sounds like you are aware of your tendencies as a person to potentially make that mistake, that bias that might make you go, well, this happened to me, it must be them on aggregate. And you're actively thinking against that going, okay, that made me feel a certain way. That wasn't great, but I'm at a rally. This isn't everybody. Oh, I remember that good conversation I had with that progressive guy. He was actually also part of the left. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I'll, I'll just quickly add on to that. I think part of it too is that when I do say, for example, I do the pro-life, pro-choice episode, I will do my due diligence in advance or, or I'll try to at least familiarize myself with the reasons why people believe what they believe across all uh, positions. And that is very empathy-inducing and eye-opening with regard to, okay, if I just have this one interaction with someone who says that they're left, that's not how the whole left is. Or one interaction with someone who says they're right, that's not how the whole right is. So it's, it's when I'm thinking through these problems in advance or I'm writing out an essay or I'm writing an intro for one of the episodes, I'm essentially have, I, I have like these, it's almost like I have these mini avatars in my head of someone who's all the way over here, someone who's just here, someone who's here and someone who's all the way over here. And I try and articulate why each of them reasonably believe what they believe. And that, that I think that means that because I'm familiar with the continuum of positions and why people might hold them, I'm, I'm much slower, or if not, I don't do it. Uh, I don't just go, okay, someone over here said this, and therefore that's what that entire side is, is like. It sounds like a core assumption that you're operating on is one that says, if someone believes this idea, they must believe it for a reason. And you're curious enough to go and find the reason, whether that person may be aware of the reason they believe it or not. It sounds like that's what you're going, okay, if they think that, why do they think that? Because you've mentioned already, well, they might think it because they were brought up in a certain worldview, a certain class, a certain thing, and I'd like to find that out. Or there might be an argument I haven't heard of that's appealing to them because maybe their sister had an experience or maybe it affects them personally. That's what well, I'm... It's like a social group thing. Mm. Or, yeah, yeah. You're no. trying to find reasons for why people believe what they believe. Oh, yeah. What a great yeah. thing to do. And that's that's where uh, we... we you know, in terms of explaining to people what it is we're doing and what it is we stand for, one of the things that, one of the expressions that we came to was we're anti-dogma, wherever that dogma is. Mm. So we, we want to deliberately kind of loosen up or shaken up our belief systems just to, to make them flexible, right? To go, to enable a little bit of creative destruction, mm. to say, okay, let's loosen this a little bit. Uh, and and have a let's inspect this part and be like, is it is this is this accurate or does this need update? Mm -hmm. I think just something that you mentioned before made me think of um, when I was 22, my mum gave me this book called A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle, and the, Mind man. the the my main takeaway from that was recognizing that I wasn't my beliefs. So it was distancing my identity from my beliefs, mm. and what that meant was. When people scrutinized my beliefs, I didn't feel like myself, my sense of self was under attack, which is why I think people can call me a lot of names and I'm able to kind of go, okay, they're like criticizing my ideas, um, but it doesn't necessarily affect 
my sense of self. It's not a, it's not a, I don't take the attack personally because I've created this gap between who I am and what I believe. So we've gotten to know him a little bit more, as you see in every Digest interview. I try and go, what's your roadmap that led you here? Why is it you think what you think? If he does lean right, then what do you, th like, where, where does he come from? Hopefully that gives us a bit more insight into the person and their ideas. Sure. Now, at this point, Matt, we move into the pushback. This is where I like to spice, well, spice things up and try and rattle him. What are his haters going to say to him? Mm. And can I push him and debate with him? Is there anything up front you'd like, you, you hope I'm challenging about his worldview at the moment? He seems to be offering a worldview that says, I can talk to anyone about anything. Uh, everyone should be challenged with their ideas. Nothing should be off the table um, in these discussions. What pushback are you hoping I'm, I'm going to put in front of him? Um, I think I'm just really curious to know his incentive structures, like any okay. supporters, like so how... Audience capture, you think? Yeah, like what sort of audience is he gathering and ah. what, what sort of people does he want to surround himself with as he grows his brand? Interesting, because obviously what his audience enjoy watching exactly he might ask questions which may be left-leaning or right-leaning depending yeah. on what his audience and the views and things it's like ben shapiro is like this two paths like version of woods and you get ben shapiro or you get someone ultra like um russell brand so you get like two <laughs> two two paths like version of woods one, different audiences i i almost see them follow the algorithmic ctrs like click-through rates of who is clicking on their stuff right and it just leads them towards that audience and it yes. leads them in an opposite direction. Totally. You know, gone down this real conspiratorial, like yes. anti-establishment. Big time. And leans quite heavily Could, left, but yes. now it's gathered a weird right hand, like right wing part He's of in wing. Yes, yes. Um, so and anyway, that's what I'm trying to work out with him with 100K subs. There's an audience gathering around him. What's that audience? Who are they? Yeah, what are their wants and needs and desires? Uh, that's a great question. Let's find out okay. if I push there. I've got a question for both of you because this next this is not part of the rules. I, I know, Let's I know. go. <laughs> no, no, but it's, it's, it's interesting. I'll put my answer in the super. I was going to say, maybe you want to answer this question for the super friend. Isn't there a danger of giving people with really bad ideas, really... Like, Platforming. Pla yeah. Yep. Like, are, are you giving a platform yep. for people... To idiots. Yeah, people who are, have got poor ideas or uh, haven't articulated them well enough. Racists, or, homophobes. Or causing, or causing harm to people, like for, for on, on a larger scale. Let's, yeah, let's, let's take that to the extreme and say, um, I've got this quote here, which I got from you, so you should know what it's all about. Um, someone saying, hey, I, got, um, I just got to say, um, so this is a message that was said to Common Ground Conversations. Um, and it says, maybe instead of trying to find common ground, you could look at the people who know what they're talking about. So talk to experts, what they're saying, or perhaps just go fuck yourself since you obviously don't know shit. I know, I know young trans people that have seen your bullshit in public and felt really hurt by the way you've just decided their lives are up to your decision. And I really think you should keep that to yourself instead of being the type of attention seeking <coughs> that says centrism <laughs> is putting people on the type of platform where, so to distill this down, under the guise of centrism, under the guise of listening to people, mm. you're platforming potentially 
you know, in the streets, people who are fat phobic, transphobic, maybe the opposite, um, but generally the left are the ones that are making this argument. So I'll say that you, you're, you're platforming these people and you're causing harm to potentially society's most vulnerable group. Suicide rates are really high in this group. Let's face it, whether whatever side of the fence you sit on right now, trans, trans people right now uh, is what homosexuality was 20 years ago. I had a mm-hmm. friend of the show on um, who grew up in the 90s being gay, you know, mm-hmm. was a pastor, came out, was gay. He, he said so casually in the conversation, oh, yeah, I'd get bashed all the time. It was gay bashing. That's what people did. And I was like, I'm like, what that freaking happened? Like, I'm blown away that that would happen in Australia 20 years ago. Mm. And he paralleled, so friend of the show paralleled this to how trans are being used politically now. They're being positioned next to pedof- pedophiles. That's what happened to gay people 20 years ago. So then the argument would be, here's this vulnerable group of people being used as a political chip and then you entering the conversation going, hey, I'm just trying to find the middle, giving oxygen to a conversation that hurts people, a vulnerable group in society. How do you deal with that? Mm. Mm. So I guess the, the word that comes to mind for me is misinformation. So what do we qualify as misinformation or you know, this belief is too dangerous to be platformed and therefore we need to take it off. Um, that all comes back down to free speech. And like, what are the reasonable limits that we place upon free speech? I wouldn't say that I'm a free speech absolutist. Um, Not Elon Musk over here? Yeah, in the sense that cause, I think it's a good thing that we illegalize calls to violence. But beyond that, if people have a position... Uh, let's say that you were to make the claim there are certain positions that shouldn't be platformed. Who gets to decide? That's a really difficult and dangerous game to play, I think. So as an example, just quickly, we were speaking to a trans... Uh, a trans. Uh, she identified as a woman. Uh, I'm actually not sure. Um, can't quite remember whether she identified as he or she. But we were speaking with this trans person and their friend. It was at the it was the last conversation in the Andrew Tate episode and it got on to hate speech. So they said that uh, they were essentially saying that there should be a particular group of people that get to decide what can and cannot be said. And I was trying to highlight how if we're not very, very careful, do you see how that can generate into authoritarianism? And it essentially becomes dogma right there are certain things that must be said or believed and certain things that cannot and and must not be said if someone could convince me where we draw that line in such a way that it doesn't degenerate into um i'd almost say whether it's authoritarianism or arrogance like a, rigidity a centralization about, of power where someone gets to decide this right seems to be the problem yeah and then and then it's almost it's almost like a positive feedback loop where where there's enough centralized power, then that feeds into more centralized power, into more centralized power. Um, if someone could convince me that there ought to be reasonable limits on free speech beyond inciting calls to violence, I'm open to it. I just haven't heard of a good way to do that, or even why that should be the case. So because you're open to sorry to interrupt. So you're open to like any idea and any person saying anything on your on your channel. Yep. Yep. Um, and I would come from the place of why? Why do you believe that? And I'm gonna I'm gonna point out where I disagree, and you can point out where I might be missing something. 
but I'm going to operate off the assumption that there's a reason why you believe what you believe and that uh, I might be able to help point out the error in your ways the same way you might be able to point out the error in mine. How do you justify? Because I think that one level of it is the legislation. Like, you know, should the government, and this is where I think personally, maybe I'll put this in the super segment, but this is, this is where I think that, that I can break the discussion down into a few different levels that get uh, category collapsed into one thing and that makes the conversation not work when people are having it. You've got, and this happens with the abortion one, which I think you pointed out in one of your episodes, you've got the government. Should this be legal or not? You can be pro-life and then be, but the government isn't the best heavy-handed mechanism to enforce such a rule. So then you've got a debate over whether the legislation should be there or you can try and philosophically convince someone, hey, this is wrong. So I think you've got those levels with free speech as well. You've got people saying, um, we need to legislate against it. And I think it's a relatively easy argument to make. I don't know if many people would disagree. Like, should the government really be saying, oh, hey, you said that really bigoted thing to that person. We're going to lock you up or fine you. I think the majority of people would be like, I'm not okay with it, but the government shouldn't be the one policing that. So we'll delete that one from the discussion. But then to you personally, someone says, listen, I'm a trans man or I'm a trans woman or I'm non-binary or I'm gay or I'm um, an immigrant or I'm like, I'm a class of in society that is um, suffering outsized. Um, like vulnerable or something. Yeah. Like outsized or... discrimination, let's yep. say, which yep. is very provable by a lot of like statistics people can find on like, yeah, these people are discriminated against in certain different ways. Um, the argument to you personally would be by you having this conversation, why do you need to have this conversation? Because this conversation is hurting X, Y, Z. Like why do you have to wade into it? Why does society have to wade into it? And why do you have to feed the flames? Not because it's legal. Of course it's legal. It should always be legal. But why, how do you justify that? If someone could say, hey, like this person saying, my friend was really hurt by what you're doing. What's your response to that? How do you justify it to yourself? Yeah, another word that sometimes I don't, like you can tell I don't have pre-scripted responses here, but sometimes something will come to me and what came to me just then was infantilizing. So if I respect someone, I treat them in such a way that they're capable of confronting the truth or they're capable of engaging in the process where we seek out and confront truth. So... I don't think it's ever a good solution. And this is this also comes back to like some of the strategies that we have in our private lives scaling at, at or, or scaling quite well. I don't think it's ever a good thing to say this topic, it's it's off limits. You can't talk about it. Um, I also think that it can become a an excuse for not having the necessary conversation. So an example with the trans uh, transgenderism more generally and what is a man, what is a woman, what's the appropriate treatment for gender dysphoria, um, is it uh, some kind of psychotherapy, is it um, uh, socially transitioning, is it hormones, gender-affirming therapy, whatever it is, these are not questions that everyone agrees upon, right, very clearly. But why would you need to weigh in on that? You not being trans, you not having a child that is trans, you not being a doctor, you not being like, that's, that's the yeah, allegation. Right, right. You don't have qualifications. Right. You don't even have skin in the game. Yep. Why yep. do you care? I see what you and, mean. And, I, and I suppose to perhaps the left's argument would be here is a group being used as a political chip to make people afraid of trans people so that any politician can stand up and say, I'm opposing this trans care. And I mean, 
I think you might have noticed in the abortion one when people saying everyone's having late term abortions like it's candy. And I think in your thing, you were like, actually, the legislation doesn't make it that easy. I think it came up on the screen there. Yeah, I know the lady that you're talking about. So it's like, my, my point being, there's a narrative out there about that we can make society afraid of this group of people because they're an insignificant voting block. And so if we make people afraid of, I think we've, I've spoke about on the show before of like, oh, now we've got kitty litter in school bathrooms. That story is complete bullshit. Like it's been looked up. It's been fact checked. The school was like, are you kidding? Like this isn't a thing. And then out of America where it came up was because they have school shootings. When they have to lock down, they actually have backup kitty litter so that if kids have to go to the bathroom in their rooms while they're locked down, that's potentially where it could have come from. But that story gets blown out. And now we're all talking about it. And we're all talking as if this is like a big threat to society. You say we're all talking about it. I believe in people's capacity to not just get caught up in a narrative like that. And I why think do you that believe that? Like, why do you think people can do that given the views that just like you would know as you follow the trend on what videos you're posting? Mm. How do you think that while seeing trending topics on YouTube that just like, if you jump yeah, aboard this, yeah, yeah. it goes up. I think part of it is, I believe that people the way you treat people influences who they become and who they can become. So I think that if you treat someone like they're capable of taking responsibility for thinking critically and making sense of things and not going with the winds of a story, they learn to be that. They realize that they can be that. But if you infantilize people, uh, they remain infants. And I think this applies to like child rearing. I think if, if you overprotect a kid, they stay a kid. And if you challenge a kid enough, you actually facilitate them into becoming uh, a responsibility taking adult. So then back to the question before I got sidetracked. Yep. Sidetracked. How why do you, me? how why do you, me? yeah, why you? Yeah. Straight white dude. Look at this guy. Just positioned to privilege. Look, he's looking down over Melbourne City. <laughs> he's just got an opinion on stuff and wow. he's sharing it. How dare you? Yeah. So. I would come back to everyone uh, from a philosophical perspective or maybe even a religious perspective. I think everyone has the responsibility to make sense of life, of what is going on, what is true. I think the two main questions are what is true and what is good, right? So what, how do I get my map as accurate as possible to the territory so I can operate effectively in it? And then from that place, which direction should we be aiming for collectively? I think everyone has a responsibility to engage in that process. Now, we can then go more specifically with trans-related issues. Um, why me? I guess the first thing I would say is there's no moral issue that I would shy away from or no question that I think is off limits for me and for anyone. Maybe it's a good question, why me? with the platform, right? Yes, exactly. That's where I was going next. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, it's, and maybe this comes back down to our mission. It's like, we're not just asking questions. We're asking important but controversial questions. So something like, what is a man? What is a woman? Or we also have recorded an episode. I don't think we got enough content for it, but your kid says, I'm trans. What would you do? What, Right? What's the appropriate, uh, how do you take care of a kid like that? Um, or even an adult for that matter. 
when someone's experienced gender dysphoria, what is the appropriate care plan? To get the best answer for that, we have to think about it critically. We have to understand why people might hold the position they do. And then we need to stress test all of those ideas to come to the best solution we possibly can. So it's an anti-dogma, pro-humility argument, I think, with, again, at the basis, I would say love. I think if you want what's best for these kids or these adults having uh, this psychological issue, then we have to we have to understand why people believe what they believe. And I don't just want to speak to an expert. I also want to speak to all the different people who are along this maybe continuum of different positions. And I want to unpack and showcase why they believe what they believe and stress test along the way as well. So you're trying to find what's true as you navigate the world, as you do, because you come in with opinion. Hot take, I do not. (laughs) And then the other thing you're trying to do is get a pulse on what people are thinking and finding out why they think that. So then are you potentially, which, which one's the priority? Are you trying to find out what's true? Cause someone could look at you and say, well, who cares what you think? Cause you don't need to know about this. Yeah. You could be curious and you don't want to shy away from any idea and you can do that. But are you trying to find the truth at any cost? And if that cost is human, well, we've got to find the truth. We've got to treat people like adults. It's like, well, to give like a real example for that, I, I was in um, I was in Darwin and I was learning a little bit about the indigenous culture up there, and they were talking about how um, the the young boys of the the tribe um, uh, learnt to just sit down and listen, and that was their their job was to sit and listen, and that's how they learnt information from um, for the, from their culture and like the the story, and and that's how they they learnt about the world is because they just sat and listened. And asking what questions and asking lots of questions is actually an insult. It was like, you're not, you shouldn't be asking questions because you need to shut up and listen kind of thing. So I, I suppose I was listening to you talk about like, there's kind of no issue that you're not willing to sort of dive Question. into. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it, just like expose yeah, and deconstruct yeah, with questions. Like you, yeah. And I think that's just like how our culture want to try and find meaning. But for you, is there a line there? Like, would you would you kind of shy away from, I suppose, like deacon or like trying to find more information about yeah. indigenous culture, even though they've specifically said, Hey, That's please don't ask questions. Disrespectful approach. Yeah, to like, uh, and I suppose that kind of comes, comes from this, the trans issue is like, well, if you're asking lots of questions here, I'm hurt by you trying to like, by someone who's not a part of our tribe or whatever, or not an ally coming in here and asking lots of questions. That's offensive. Is there, I suppose, like, where does that line sit for you if they've specifically said, hey, that's insensitive? Yeah, there's there's a lot of context mm, and, and nuance yeah. there. Um, as an example, um, maybe in a situation like that, if I had been uh, invited into a space of Indigenous people and they said, hey, this is how the, you know, the game is played in this context and if you want to be here, this is what you have to to go by um then maybe in that situation i'd i'd keep my mouth shut and i would pick my time and place to maybe ask the elders why they believe what they believe um i also think that i think it's a a nietzschean idea that you have to be a you almost have to be an apprentice first where you are willing to get a, a software download from the elders and the leaders or the masters of their trade 
before you earn the ability to then ask questions. So I wonder whether it's also, um, you know, I haven't always been like this. I wonder whether it's also me stepping into my adulthood and going, recognizing, okay, my parents gave me these belief systems and they've served me in ABC ways and they're a good starting point. But now as an adult, I'm responsible for, for uh, stress testing each of these and actually assessing, is this mine or is this theirs? Uh, and, and in what, what way it needs to be um, updated. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever changed anyone's mind? I think so, yeah, yeah. We, I mean, I was reading, so on, in like break periods, maybe between sets of the gym, I'll jump into the comments and just kind of see who I can respond Read to. Read an angry comment. Oh, that's got me going. Play yeah. it up, boys, yeah. play it up. <laughs> yeah, but I do, so I, I do I, yeah, I, I, try, I try and people who, who give us feedback, whether it's positive or negative, if it's good, if it's constructive, I'll try and respond to it. And, um, and that's also another thing where some creators would be like, I never read the comments. I never read mm. the, the hate or whatever. I, it's a brave thing, man, to dive into the comments. Eh? Yeah, but we learn a lot from them, right? Like Liam mm. and I, my, my partner in the project, um, we, there are, I guess, I mean, we're embodying like that humility. We, if you think that we're doing something wrong, I'm open to being told what that is and maybe I can update what I'm doing to better accomplish uh, the mission or to update the mission altogether. Um, but there was a, a comment that I read just before and there have been multiple like it of people just saying, one, I didn't know I, I didn't have to pick a side. Two, it's nice to see someone not pick a side, politically speaking, uh, and think through and rationalize their position, not from a place of I'm going to get you and show you why you're wrong or I'm going to show why you know my team's the correct one, but more so from a place of, hey, like I want to be curious. You might be able to help me and I might be able to help you. And when we leave the conversation, even if I've changed my mind or you've changed your mind, it's not I've won, you've won. It's like both of us leave feeling like we won because we have a better understanding of the question and and therefore how to operate in the world. Um, but we've also had people just say, you've, you've, you've inspired me to think through these things. Um, and it, I think that's a combination of the intros that I do where I walk through my thinking in a lot of depth as well as the conversations where every person that I speak to can't say every person, but the large majority of people that I speak to can sense that I'm genuinely thinking. And it's part of it is like when I ask someone a question, a, a difficult question, if they respond too quickly, it's like there's a script there. Right? But if I ask a question and you know they're they're like look into the distance and they're like, I think blah 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 blah. It's like I love that. I'm in love with that. And a lot of people get that sense with me. I will have thought through things a lot and I will have a position. But when we engage in a meaningful conversation and we get to the limits of what I know or what I've explored, I'm like, boom, now it's game on. And they can sense that, that underlying curiosity. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, think, I think in that respect, some people's minds are being changed uh, on particular issues. But also, some people are just being inspired to think for themselves, which which is like the coolest thing. I love that. When did you last change your mind, and what was it? Um, two things come to mind: abortion and high value woman and high value man. On the abortion side of things, uh, that's quite clearly demonstrated in 
the difference between the first episode, pro-life, pro-choice, and the second episode, pro-life, pro-choice, I went from being pro-first trimester abortions to being pro-life with a couple of, with three, two to three key exceptions. Um, with regards to high-value woman and high-value man, um, I think that a high-value man, if he has everything, he commits to one woman. And that might be another instance of disagreement with someone like Tate. Um, again, I'm open to being, you know, to having my ideas stress tested there. But before I used to think that it makes sense that a, someone, the most successful of men who have the opportunity to be with a large uh, number of women, why would you not do that? I do think there's good reason to say that if we're defining high value man as what women select for, they select for someone who commits to one man, uh, sorry, one woman. Um, so I think that's that also changed for me. And then my, I've also learned, maybe this isn't so much a change, but a realization, how just how important it is to frame a conversation. So when I'm asking someone, what is a high value woman? If I, or even I'm like I, I ask someone, what's it? I was asking them about, you know, can we find common ground that men find or skinny women attractive um, and she was very much overweight she might even be considered uh, borderline obese but I'd framed the conversation or that question so well and built up an, an, enough rapport that she knew it was coming from a place of like I actually wanted to see if we can find and establish a shared sense of truth to then operate from and we had a bit of a laugh about it and it was this beautiful experience because she realized that he I respected her enough to ask the question that a lot of people would think about but not feel comfortable asking. But she knew it came from a good place. Um, and I think that I'm now taking that into my personal life, just realizing sometimes there are, yes, I can say I operate from truth and that's my highest value. But also you have to be strategic around asking these questions. And I guess it comes back to what you were saying, Nath, about the... Um, you know, going into an indigenous culture and just being like, why, 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 why? Maybe that's not the, the, the right way to go about it. Um, and yeah, just how important framing it is, framing a question is in order for people to feel that sense of safety and security and, and feel as though they can genuinely test their ideas and not be villainized for it or made to feel bad. I'm getting a sense, you say, truth is your highest value. But what I'm getting a sense of is going, you want to find truth. That's what you're looking for. You're asking questions. You're a curious guy. You don't want to be afraid of ideas and you want to help people have that dialogue and those conversations and equip them with a model to show them, hey, here's how someone apologizes, changes their mind, publicly asks hard questions. But it sounds like what's underneath that, which gives you a different air to someone like Stephen Crowder, Australian friends of the show. He's the guy that sits at the university desk with Change My Mind, um, probably very inspired by. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And so it's a different flavor because a guy like Stephen Crowder or a, or a guy like even Avi Yunamini and, and some of these guys, they come from a tribe. They, have a, they seem to have a tribal position that doesn't waver and then they almost are apologists to that ideal. And nothing can stand in the way. They hide behind kind of what you're saying as well, truth. Oh, I'm just here for truth. But they're really trying to funnel people into what their audience is kind of, the, the positions are always the same. Whereas I get the sense from when I've been speaking with you, your positions will shift. You'll be like, well, you know, like pro-life here. And I mean, well, I wouldn't agree with Tate here. And like, 
you'd be all over the political map, so to speak. You wouldn't fit neatly into one tribe. And I find that interesting. And the thing I find interesting about your approach is that you have that ideal. You say you're seeking truth, but it seems to come within the boundaries drawn by respectful conversation with people and, res- and, and respecting people first and then doing what you can to find truth from that point on. Because as your question goes to, it's like, where are the limits? And it sounds like the answer that you're giving to where are the limits are within human relationship. If someone says to you, I get, the, I get the impression, and correct me if I'm wrong, I get the impression if someone says, please don't ask that question or I, don't, I actually don't want to. You're, you're not someone who's likely going to harass them, set them up. And you go, well, I'm just asking the truth. Like, because some people's ideal of truth will come above somebody's ability to engage in that conversation or above a community that says we don't engage with something this way. And someone goes, well, I'm just in my culture, this is totally fine. So it seems like that is part of your approach. It's very oriented and nestled within relationships. Relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think, and this, this comes back to the theme of love. I think that when you love someone, you, you help them refine and confront their sense of truth and i think that's one of those ideas that scales from that the private relationship into a more public context but there's all of that nuance and con and and context that we were talking about before where um if it's almost like you need to establish that shared sense of what love is to even get to that that stage so for example um if i'm with someone and they say can't ask that question i want to say yeah but you should really ask that question but it's also an awareness of um you know let's say someone i'm close to maybe there needs to be more of that framing maybe there needs to be more of that caretaking to make them feel and i can think of one person that comes to mind more building of rapport and establishing you are safe and i'm it's okay for you to go down that rabbit hole and i'll hold you in that space so that you can figure out what you believe and why and then come back out. Um, yeah, it's, it's anchored in this like quick, quick walkthrough of where it comes from. It's like we, we each have uh, a map of the world, what is true as well as where we should be aiming for, what is good. We, when we are thinking, essentially what we're doing is taking um, those, those maps and then simulating particular courses of action. And it's like, okay, well, if I did this and my map says, you know, there's a causal relationship between A, B, C, D, if I do this, then I'm going to get X outcome. And is that towards my direction of good? So when we're thinking or reasoning, we're running through each of those simulations in our head, but your map is inaccurate, yours is inaccurate, mine is inaccurate. The way that we put our computational power together is by, engaging in dialogue. So you share the notes of your simulations, you share the notes of yours, I share mine, and then we stress test each of them. And I think that that is the means by which we clarify what is true and what is good and we act in the best way in the world. And when someone says that question is off limits, I always, my instinct is one, I don't think that's a good strategy, but two, if you force someone into that, uh, particularly like I'm trying to think of these intimate settings, if you force someone into confronting that question, maybe when they're not ready for it, is it productive? Is it the right time? So for example, when I was at the pro-life protest, 
Boys, the last episode, um, there was a gentleman, I'm not sure whether you saw it, he was repeatedly trying to stick musk sticks in my mouth. I saw that. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. and um, when, we're, when we're moving throughout these protests, we'll ask someone, hey, do you want to share what you believe and why? Give us some context. If you want to check our YouTube channel first, you're more than welcome to, um, or our TikTok or whatever. But if you, if you say no, it's like, no problems. You're not ready to do it. It's not interesting to you. Have a nice day. And I guess that's almost like an instantiation of what I was just saying where I'm not going to say, no, no, no. To love someone is to be truthful and, you know, you, ne you need to confront this question right now. If they're not ready for it, they're not ready for it. But also I'm trying to think about when you do love someone and you have that rapport built, even if they say no, you kind of say, like I'm thinking about an intimate relationship, you'll say, babe, I do think we should talk about this. I do think you should ask this question. And I believe that you are strong enough to work through it. And I'm here to hold you through it. And that's going to be a good outcome. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's all anchored in how well can you establish with this person that it's okay to question your beliefs and to go down those rabbit holes and I'll respect or love you, whatever the right word is there, through it. And your position in their life to say whether you can or cannot have that conversation with that person. Right. And like as a parent, you're going to do that. You're going to push your kids. It's your place to push your kids a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But if it's some random person I meet on the street and they say, I don't want to explore that question. It's like, no problem. Yeah. That's, I'm that's not in a position to, to kind of force that. Force you. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Rich, um, thanks for taking so much time to talk to us here on Ideas Digest. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Where are you? Where can people find you? What can they do? TikTok, is it back? Is it cancelled? TikTok is back. On TikTok, we're Common Ground Convos 2, the number 2. Um, we are back. We, yeah, we're, we're kind of building from the ground up there. The best place to find us is definitely YouTube. Um, so Common Ground Conversations. And uh, if you want a little bit of like the behind the scenes, then it'll, it's Common Ground Conversations on Instagram. On Instagram. Fantastic. Yeah. Now, potentially for Super Friends, the TikTok thing. So there was the pushback. I, I feel like I touched a little bit on audience capture that you, you were hoping mm. I would touch on. I framed him around because I judged him as being in the category of the Andrew Tates and the Jordan Petersons. So I really tried to, I tried to see how he would react when I was like, you, I know you're a fan of Jordan Peterson and you quote Andrew Tate. And I should say for context, this was pre Andrew Tate sure. getting arrested for sex trafficking. So I, I don't know if he's, <laughs> if he would quote someone like Andrew Tate now. So anyway, this was pre that some people could say, well, look at what he says and you should predict it. But almost deliberately in front of seeing how he'd respond when I put his ideas, which is, you know, apologize, be respectful of people. Um, you know, my questions are to treat people with respect and dignity. And then I was trying to contrast what people would perceive Peterson and the Tates of the world to be doing. Like I used in that example, Andrew Tate was like, I never apologize. And he spent a lot of time being like, no, apologizing is like a sign of respect and we should all do it when we change change positions sure. so i tried to see how he'd react to that whether he'd openly say um oh no andrew tate doesn't reflect me too much but I, th that was more of like what was going through my mind as i was trying to push back and a lot of the pushback as you noted part way through it's pushback i would get on this show yeah who should i be platforming what conversations should i be having who am i to have 
an opinion or, or to explore this issue when sure. it pertains to vulnerable sections of the community, et cetera, et cetera. So I was pushing him really hard, very well mm. knowing it's it, this can be very kind of applied to us and what For we're sure. doing. Again, coming back to one of the, the models that we use on this show is from Jonathan Haidt about, you know, these moral frameworks, mm -hmm. particularly mm -hmm. um, you would say indicating more right thinking, like your his insistence on truth, truth, Mm -hmm. Like coming back to what is right, truth. Yes. I found really interesting. Yes. And for me, um, listening, I was just like, okay, so what is that truth? Like, what is that built upon? I mean, it wasn't like it's oh, not fundamental. That's a good truth. question. I dropped the ball on that one. Good one. Yes. Yeah. I just don't quite understand what he means by that. I would have. Yeah. Good question. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. No, it's all good. Great. Yeah. But either way, I think you can, you know, someone that's uh, lis listening to him. Uh, that's maybe on the right would say, yes, there is an absolute truth. And I'm glad someone's out there that's willing to ask the hard questions. He sounds as if he believes in some kind of absolute truth, yes. which is you're saying that's more of the conservative right-leaning well, moral, moral framework. A, a very strong moral framework. Yes. So, right, so when you go and um, potentially ask an offensive question at a pro-choice rally, it's the right thing to do. Yes. Despite the, maybe the... I understand it's controversial, damage. but my intention is truth and it's yes. the right thing to do. So therefore that rightness trumps, whereas the progressive, this is the greatest, yeah, this is a good example. The mm. progressive would say, it might be, my intentions might be pure, yes. but someone else's comfortability and their consent and everything like that is more important than that. And so that's what, that's well, it's, it's unfair for him to come into that circumstance, which yes. is that equity framework, left-leaning. Left-leaning like, equity yeah. contrasted with right-leaning truth. No, yeah. that's a good spelling out of the framework we're using when we categorize people as right and left. It's not necessarily we're all one and, or the and, other. And, and both sides of those people, like you'll find yourself on the left and the right in different circumstances. True, different topics. So in this certain thing, you can just... It just seems to me this moral framework thing is really important to him. And so I'm, I'm guessing mm. it'd be a great question to, it's a great question we all ask ourselves, right? At what points do, are we, um, are we in so insistent on our truth in that circumstance that we are potentially causing harm? Which is a lot of what I was pushing him on. Yeah. Where's the line and who are you? But like in, yeah. in history, uh, moral frameworks have been amazing, like the, the slave trade, right? So we can't like no, push aside, right. like, oh, it's bigger to have an idea. Yeah, they got yeah. a big slave trade here. Yeah, yeah. That's like, right. Maybe the left would have been like, well, in the context of there, and like, <laughs> like, so it's. I think we have to hold yes. both intention. And, They're both. Yeah. We're not trying to put one above the other. No. It's like different circumstances, different things, and you're you seem to be probably perceiving what I perceived as well of being like, I'd place him right because I am sensing that moral framework at play in most of the topics we spoke about, as well as in topic selection. If you look at his video catalog on YouTube, the questions seem to come from the right-leaning moral framework group. Mm. If he was sitting more on the left, he'd be, he'd be more saying like, how much action should be on climate change? Yes. And then people would accuse him of being a lefty and, and everything like yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. Um, something else I found interesting was how much abuse he gets. So mm. so in the conversation, I had a great time chatting to him. He's a, you know, not, another Aussie. We kind of get each other, have a bit of a laugh. And He's culturally not very Aussie, like in, in my at least perceptions of I can, him. I can hear that. Tell me more. Well, like it's... Um, you think more American in the like LFG? Yeah, yeah I, I felt like... But I see that a lot in like no, city slicker. Actually, Aussies. listening to him, I feel like he's done a lot. Now I'm sort of confirmed on it. Maybe it's my confirmation bias, but yeah. I feel like he's done a lot of 
like personal development stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like, like if it's growth. true, yeah, true from his background, you know that same thing that um, the idea that exists on the right that if you're given like um, the right, you know, despite what your background is, you can make something of yourself. Yes. Yeah, he yeah. was sort of like leaning that way. When he leans that way, but yeah. he also like bit of a lefty in the sense when he's like, of course, people are dealt different cards. Exactly. And of course, circumstances matter. Yeah. So it was interesting where he's in, his, in, the, in that sense straddling You'd the fence. You'd say even like the strongest right would say the same thing. Like it would say, of course, these things happen. Mm. It's just when, yeah. it's just whether they articulate, whether they take the time to articulate it in the conversation. Yeah. Because obviously then it impacts like universal healthcare or no, or, you know, private you, health insurance. Yes. You see how it yeah. links politically, which is why Conrad always loves to get political <laughs> on this stuff. Cause it always links political, but it's I like did, political and Conrad is like more, more? <laughs> Please. this is why I guess who did you vote for? And I'm going to keep doing it because yeah. I think it's the output of like how you see the world and what issues you think are important. And if, and then I, and I like just being right. Part of me keeps a tally on whether I nail whether who he votes for i'm pretty confident i know who he votes for but he yeah. wouldn't tell me which i can respect so anyway i thought he was a good like he was quite respectful sure. and he like we had we had a great conversation so really well thought out too like i really liked his construction like i think he's really well spoken he, yes definitely definitely and and i think what, what i found interesting in post watching his stuff and in the interview Watching his stuff, if you're coming from the political left, the progressive, the the climate change loving camp, what I found interesting was watching his videos, the abuse he got from the left. Interesting. Uh, and what the one I'm thinking of, once again, N equals one. I watched one video. So our sample size, if you're a scientific guy, yeah, the yeah. N yeah. is like, is, is in a scientific paper, p pertains to the sample size. Mm. So N equals one is just... You would even not even say it statistically significant. <laughs> you would. But <laughs> it's, a, it's like a number. <laughs> but anecdote is literally how we rule yeah. our lives. So I am talking about that. So I watched that one video and the progressives are the ones calling him incel fascist. The progressives on the, especially the uh, abortion, the pro-life, uh, the pro-choice crowd, wouldn't talk to him. Wouldn't even engage interesting. with him. Yeah, I, I found it very interesting. What was his arguments though? Like why were they so like put off? From the video I watched, go and watch it yourself, Common Ground Conversations on YouTube, they just wouldn't even engage with him off the bat. I think he's con he could be confused with Avi Yemeni, which you were like, who's that? Mm. He's probably a pretty right-leaning... I, I do news because he's not part of any formalised news network. Sure. And he walks around being like... You can tell his political leanings, but he says he's news. So he, he, he walks around, he's like... <laughs> the well, news according to what I edit. And, and during COVID, he was very much like anti-vax or yeah, anti-lockdowns yeah, sure. and all that sort of stuff. So that would place him on the right-leaning spectrum. And he's very anti-Dan Andrews, which is the Victorian premier, which... Dictator Dan. Dictator Dan for our Aussie friends there. Mm. Americans are like, who cares? <laughs> but um, I think he's mistaken for being more right than he is. Like yeah. I can see how people would perceive him to be on the right, but he's also very open to discussion, hence the hence the conversation. Yeah. And and the left weren't having a bar of him. And I trust him on how he's editing. I don't, I don't think he's actually editing a narrative, no. which some people could accuse him for. I've watched videos, judge for yourself. Just as my I said no confidently then after seeing zero videos. <laughs> so just no. uh, Maybe discount you everything I'm saying on this yes, podcast. Yes. Just my punter's opinion. I don't think he's doing that. And when I watched that video, I found, yeah, the left very hostile, name calling, all those things. And then I imagined me being him, walking around, asking people's opinions, getting abuse from the left side. 
it would make me want to run to the cozy echo chamber of the right side who will talk to me about their opinions, mm. not call me an incel fascist and all those sorts of things. So it gave me an insight into firsthand what it would look like copying abuse from a segment of a tribe mm. and then going to the safe zone on the other tribe. And I can see why it's not comfortable being in the middle where we like to sit because we're all in the middle. The middle. <laughs> the middle. We're all moderates, Matt, aren't we? I think it would have been great. I don't know if you asked him this question, but I would have loved to have heard, um, you know, you're like, oh, you know, this is a difficult task. You know, what yes. you're doing, it's really draining at times. You get a lot of hate. What have been some of the most rewarding oh. uh, things people have said to you on the DMs? Oh, just to... Just to understand more his incentive structures as to what he's doing. Mm. Like, what would, that, what would it be highlighted? Would it be said oh, this person reached out to me, said that they've really opened my mind and changed my life. Mm. I'm now like taking these X, Y, Z issues more seriously. Ah. You know what I mean? Like just right. to see what he's clearly, um, there's, there's something, I'm, I'm just, uh, maybe that's just make me being a little bit of a, I don't know, pessimist, but I just yeah. believe humans are just products of incentive structures. Like yeah. we all do different stuff for different yeah. reasons. And he's just, so it'd be very, I'd love to know more about why. At its best the ideas he's putting forward, the things he makes you think, or the, this idea of treating everyone with respect and everyone being capable of the conversation mm. that you're entering into. What's he got at its best that we can go, all right, this is probably something we, we could adopt. I think what he's doing would be really difficult to do. Um, and if you really actually place yourself in his shoes, it's not easy to receive that level of hate and, and still get up in the morning and still mm. edit. Like, at 100,000 subscribers and things like that. I, he's not, like, we're not talking, he's not reigning in cash. Like, no. He's not at this, like, stratospheric level or some other guys. Like, a, a Peterson level would be making yeah. lots of money. Bank. Bank on his You can opinions. take that hate to the bank and buy yourself so a Bugatti. I don't know, like, I feel like at its best, I think it, it's, it's great that he's having the conversation. Mm -hmm. I think particularly someone maybe with a strong moral framework that can have a civil conversation with another extreme, mm. I think is what we need. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Society needs. Yeah. Yep. So I think that would, I would say is probably at its best. Mm -hmm. What about I, you? I loved, and it got me thinking, because I can, as a pseudo intellectual, right? As I cl class myself mm -hmm. as, I like to think I read smart people. I read Reddit. <laughs> Upvotes. Reddit, yeah. <laughs> and, and they've I've got a lot of karma on Reddit. <laughs> yeah. And actually, well, you I don't. don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I know what you're talking about. And so I, I like, I always default to experts. I'm like, I'll listen to podcasts with experts going, oh, look at me. I'm a pseudo intellectual mm. listening to experts' opinions. I liked how he, he treated the average punter which is me most of the time and friends of the show. We're just punters on the yeah. and we're just curious. And uh, sometimes it can be shut up if you don't know what you're talking about. And I understand that instinct sure. because we have dumb opinions. I have dumb opinions, everything I don't know about. I'm just trying to be aware that my opinion is probably dumb mm. if I haven't studied it. So that's why I try and listen to experts. But I liked how he went, he's got the pulse on the punter, just the Aussie punter mm. who's just, oh, I just think this about this. And, and we can ignore those people. Or you can have your pulse to what society is kind of thinking. So at its best, it's I don't I think it's good to hear what people think, mm. even if it might be atrocious at times. Which I think ignorant opinions can be very hurtful to lots of people. Mm. But I personally would rather know what people are thinking than have like an undercurrent mm. that skews elections into you know 
other countries have dictators getting elected sure. and stuff like that. It's like, I just, I just thought at its best, we can, res- we can respect people even if they might have an ignorant opinion. This idea at its worst, maybe, you know, people take this idea and, and run with it. Where could that lead that's not helpful? I think some of the, the same issues that uh, exist in the um, idealism of our show is in the sense that uh, we release, uh, we, we, we go in and we question these um, ideas and we have these controversial conversations at times and then the algorithm obviously then picks up at, as to what, what got the most engagement or whatever. Mm. And at its worst, I think these, um, in, in an attempt... And this is a criticism, like a self-reflection on us as well. Because the same question applies to us, yeah, yeah. us at our worst. In an attempt to um, bridge the gap, we make the situation worse. <laughs> totally. We um, are ill-equipped for the questions. Mm. We go in there with good intentions and to bridge a gap. misinformation. Yes. And um, yeah, that's what I think, unfortunately, in these... Sometimes I think it is a very true criticism to say these should be left not to just like a political, like a even mm. is a podcast sometimes, a podcast can be a place or a, a YouTube channel can be a place to really hear someone. Mm. Great. But if that's the extent of the knowledge and if that's the extent of the research that we go into this understanding. Is that enough? Is that enough? Yeah. And sometimes can be constructive, sometimes at its worst, not. Cannot be, yeah. totally. If, if, if once again, people take it, Consolidate their views. N equals two. Me and that guy. Yeah. I'm definitely thinking what I think. Yeah. And usually you're watching that video because an algorithm has picked it up. Def- so what is, yeah. what is the intention of the algorithm you have to ask? Is because the only reason you're seeing that is, is because unless you're a real super, super, super friend. Yes. You're picking like, it's just like when you did the abortion thing, right? Yeah. You picked, we picked up, I just, I just picked up all this initial, yeah. maybe like, People jump on our train for a little bit and then yeah. realize <laughs> it's like, oh, this train sucks. <laughs> hey, you're talking to someone who doesn't like abortion? Um, they got off the next station. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Halfway, I think some yeah, that is jumped and rolled. Planted a C4 on the way out. <laughs> Try to take us down. Beep, beep. <laughs> this is definitely probably towards me, but him as well, because it's the same camp. The media doesn't tell us what to think. It tells us what to think about quote from someone smarter than me who I can't remember. Same thing with the algorithm. The algorithm doesn't tell us what to think. It tells us what to think about. And when you and I are looking at our data, the algorithm is telling us to think about, to talk about. So at its worst, we just become another pawn in the algorithm to propagate the questions that the people who feed the algorithms and design the algorithms and the news to get us to talk about it. So if we're talking about Jordan Peterson, for example, episode coming up, stay tuned, because we want more views or because it's an interesting cultural zeitgeist. We are, in trying to understand this thing, we are feeding the algorithm we've been led into it. we're feeding the algorithm just what it's already wanting us to kind of talk about. And we could, if we're objective about it, go, is this the most important issue that people should be talking about and aware about? So we can just become victim to the God of the algorithm pulling the strings. Matt, that's my kind of at its, it's, good. I like at it. its worst I love sort it. of thing. So thanks for tuning in. Love to hear what you guys think, actually. Please tell us. 
Tell us exactly what you think. Jump on our shitty train and uh, <laughs> send us a DM. You can jump off any stop you're liking, <laughs> but stay on board. If you'd like to get this show ad Super free. Friends, don't get off. <laughs> <laughs> Super friends, please. You're in the first class cabin. They're like, oh, okay. Wait, the door's locked. <laughs> We're like, you're not leaving. You're not leaving. You can check out, but you can never leave. But it's a first class cabin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you, get, it, you get this thing ad yeah. free. And for Super Friends, we're going to continue talking about what we actually think our honest opinions about this as we break it down for, for you super friends with the bonus content if you want to hear matt and i argue about stuff and disagree because we did have a fight once and super friends did enjoy it which i'm i'm glad uh go to artistitis.org sign up get this thing ad free support the show honestly your support really helps us if you believe more dialogue is important listening to people you disagree with is important you believe that this, with this kind of stuff can unify people this is a place for you itisdigest.org hope to see you there matt super friends here we go this guy is a right wing version of 